1950s Science Fiction Podcast, Season 3, Episode 4. Movie Review, Kronos. Introduction. Hello and welcome back to 1950s Science Fiction Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the last latest season so far. The last podcast was very long and longer than I thought it would be. I hope I can make a shorter podcast and try not to go into so much detail. I did conduct a poll and asked the question, should I do book reviews into two parts? I got only one response, and it was a yes for dividing a book review into two parts. I was also thinking uh, thinking of the same thing when I was creating the previous podcast. So I'll consider that, and we'll see what happens in the future. Today's podcast will be a review of the 1957 movie Kronos. The movie's producers were... Irving Block, Louis DeWitt, Kurt Newman, and Jack Rubin. Kurt Newman would also direct Kronos. The movie had a runtime of 78 minutes, shot in black and white at Regal Studios, a division of 20th Century Fox. It was part of a double feature that included the movie She Devil. The movie release date was in April of 1957 and cost an estimated 160000 that's one six zero 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 to make, considered a medium budget for a movie in that period. The film starred with Jeff Murrow, Barbara Lawrence, and George O'Hannon. Now on to today's podcast, Tracking an Asteroid. The story unfolds when two government scientists working at an astrophysics lab observe an object they believe is an asteroid. The two scientists are Dr. Leslie Gaskell, played by Jeff Murrow, and his assistant, Dr. Arnold Culliver, played by George O'Hannon. They both work at a facility called Lab Central that does scientific research for the U.S. government. While they are observing the object, part of it splits off and lands near the lab. A burst of electrical energy emerges from the alien craft and affects a nearby motorist. Motors is under the influence of, a, of an otherworldly intelligence and drives to Lab Central. He breaches the facility's security, then infects the director of Lab Central with an alien presence. Then the motorist dies as security personnel comes rushing through the director's office. The director orders security to dispose of the body and, gets, and then gets back to work. Gaskell and Culliver, with the help of Vera Hunter, Lab Central's photographer, examine a series of images of the tracked object. They soon realize that it's on a collision course with Earth and action is needed. The director is informed and the U.S. military fires guided missiles armed with atomic warheads to destroy the asteroid. The object receives hits by the guided missiles, but it's untouched. Instead of exploding, it crashes into the Pacific Ocean, just off the coast of Mexico. When the missiles hit the target, it causes the director of Lab Central to collapse to the floor, the result of being possessed by alien intelligence. Afterward, Gaskell decides to start an expedition to search for the asteroid. Gaskell believes the asteroid could be under the influence of aliens due to the behavior of the object. Mexico. When Gaskell and Culver arrive in Mexico, they waste no time in their search. They fly up and down the coast in a helicopter and find nothing. They stop over at a seaside hotel for the night for a meal and some sleep. While at dinner, 
Vera Hunter, who has brought more photo supplies, joins within with the two scientists. During the evening, an immense glowing mass of water started to form on the surface. The scientists kept a close watch on it. However, by the morning, a large, square, metallic machine is standing on the beach. Everyone is either frightened or fascinated by the sight of the mysterious object. Gaskell, Culver, and Vera embark in the helicopter and make observations of the machine. They notice that two antenna-like rods protrude out of the center next to a ball-shaped object. They land on top of the device and get a glimpse of its inner workings. Shortly after they land and set foot on and set foot on the machine, it starts to come to life. They take off in the helicopter and start to follow the object. It moves on two poles, pulsating up and down at a rapid rate. The machine produces a whistle-like noise while in transit and other electronic sounds. It comes to life comes to a small town and destroys it with a blast of energy that starts landslides. As it goes through the village, the legs squash anything under it. It proceeds to a local power plant and stops there for a few moments. Then it starts to glow as if it were absorbing the power from the station. Once finished, it destroys the entire power plant. The Mexican Air Force sends out two World War II era fighter planes to stop it, but the other machines disintegrates all four airplanes. Kronos. The machine continues moving around the Mexican countryside, leaving devastation in its wake. The rampage by the object is reported to the media and makes headline news. The public is unsure what to make of it, and the news media seems to laugh it off especially after a report from Dr. Gaskell when he names the machine Kronos. The name derives from the ancient Greek god of destruction. In the meantime, the, the director of Lab Central has discharged himself from the hospital after murdering his doctor. The doctor has, had discovered the director was possessed by an alien force. Therefore, the director killed him before the physician could take any action against him. Once the, once the director is back at Lab Central, the director starts looking for places to send Kronos. The director uses telepathy to contact Kronos and gives it a target to locate. He sends the monster machine to an atomic weapons facility in Southern California. While the machine is en route, the director recommends an H-bomb construct Kronos, and the Air Force sends a bomber to intercept Kronos. However... Gaskell objects to the strike, citing that the blast will only increase Kronos' strength. Director ensures Gaskell this is the only way to stop the machine. Unbeknownst to Gaskell and Vera, the director is possessed by an alien being and not in his right mind. The airstrike proceeds, but at the last moment, the pilot receives orders to turn back. Before the pilot can comply, he is unable to control his bomber and crashes into Kronos. The crash causes the H-bomb to explode, but Kronos absorbs all the energy during the blast. Kronos is untouched by the explosion and continues on to its next target.
termination. In the meantime, Lab Central receives a call from the hospital. Vera answers the phone and is informed about the director's condition. She, makes the mis- she mistakes the director for Gaskell after she tries to tell him. The director attempts to kill Vera, but Gaskell intercedes and the director lets himself at a nearby panel. However, the electric charge doesn't kill the director, but clears his mind enough to tell Gaskell what's really going on. The director explains that Kronos, designed to be a giant energy storage device, was created by a dying race of beings for survival. He states that the alien world was being depleted of all energy by the inhabitants, and they needed to get more sources from other planets, hence the invasion by Kronos. Later, the director retreats to a locked room, and the alien presence expels themselves from the director's body, and both beings die. As Kronos gets closer to, to Los Angeles, the city evacuates its population as fast as possible. While Gaskell works on a solution to, to the destruction of Kronos, Gaskell has a Eureka moment and theorizes that a reverse in polarity may cause it to implode upon itself. He has the Air Force make another bombing run against Kronos, but this time the canister full of ionized material. The Air Force jet makes a run over Kronos and drops the canister. Over the top of the machine, the bomb explodes and creates a field of particles between its rods. The result is an implosion caused by the particles and Kronos slowly burns itself out. My thoughts. I've enjoyed watching this movie. It has been one of my favorites over the years. It's a great story and well written. The producers use some very good animation for the depiction of Kronos moving across the landscape. Those sequences impressed me the most during viewing. To keep the budget low, rudimentary effects for the movie, such as stock footage and simple photographic effects, were routinely used. As for the story, I loved how a logical scientist and a thinking man hero was, sent, was the central protagonist. I love a good science fiction story in which brains win over brawn, just a little help from the military. There was one sequence in the movie that I found to be interesting. It was a newscast and dated tech in the studio. A TV news broadcast delivered the story about Kronos appearance in Mexico. In the studio, the anchorman describes the events using only an artist's drawing of Kronos to show the audience. No photos or film footage of the appearance of Kronos. Dr. Gaskell can make a long-distance telephone call and give a report, but the Eggerman thinks it's a joke or publicity stunt. Contrast this to date with a person using a smartphone and uploading to YouTube or even sending picture text on social media. Some trivia. Here's some trivia about the movie Kronos. The film's male lead is Jeff Morrow, who played Exeter in This Island Earth. I discussed that movie in episode one of this season. Murrow played in many other science fiction movies during the 50s, such as The Creature Walks Among Us and The Giant Claw, while George O'Hannon would later become the voice of George Jetson in the Hanna-Barbera animated series. The movie won approval from some critics for a better-than-average storyline and special effects compared to other films of its kind. Finally, the movie's director, Kurt Newman, died one year after the movie release of Kronos. Conclusion. 
Well, this concludes another episode of this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's show and will continue to listen. If you want to give me feedback, you can DM me at edwardgerman3 on Twitter, shutterbug1681 on Instagram, email utcgrad97 at gmail.com. Message me on the Anchor FM by the voice message link, or leave some comments where available on your podcast app. You should read my vocal media page and WordPress page as well. Thanks for listening, and I will work on my next podcast soon.